Jeff DeVerter, the host of Cloud Talk. As I reflect on a technology that I've worked with for literally decades, the private cloud, I'm actually reminded of a quote most often attributed to Mark Twain, and that's, the reports of my death have been highly exaggerated. This technology, primarily driven by virtualization in its early days, in a lot of ways seemed to have run its course by the mid-20-teens with the wholesale gold rush to the public cloud. But while the likes of Netflix and others touted the elastic, resilient, and redundant characteristics of the hyperscale cloud, innovation was occurring in companies like Dell, VMware, and EMC. So in today's episode, I take a deep dive into the modern private cloud, the innovations in the tech, the M&A activity in the space, and how companies like Rackspace are taking these technology building blocks and reinventing what it means to operate the modern private cloud. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So in our review of the modern private cloud, we're going to sort of center ourselves around a conversation I had with Eric Miller, who is the vice president and general manager of private cloud here at Rackspace. Now, Eric comes from a really interesting background. You're going to learn all about that today, but also we'll have conversations with Dell, with VMware, so the infrastructure and the software that also powers these sorts of things. But it's important to look at how you build this into a service offering, how we're doing it here at Rackspace, but also how you might do it in your organization. So with that, let's jump over to my conversation with Eric Miller. How did you get into this? Where where did you first think, you know, computers might be more than just a thing to play a game on. I could make a career out of this. Oh, wow. So um, I've always been a very right-brained person and, it you know, com- computers and IT were sort of a way for me to, uh, to pursue a creative field uh, and, and still be able to put food on the table. So that, that was the pivot <laughs> point for me. You know, I'm one of those kids that I didn't grow up playing sports. My dad had the house full of, of uh, you know, Commodore VIC-20 and, and Commodore 64 computers. That was our how we spent our time. So, um, yeah, you know, I was surrounded by it at an early age. Um, I actually didn't I didn't make the flip to IT. I was in the military for for several years and had some a career before um, IT. But first ten years around 2000, I, I spent in the data center. I like to say I was raised on the raised floor. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> nice. I'm, yeah, I'm just as comfortable with a pair of RJ45 crimpers in one hand and, and some cable in the other hand and racking and stacking servers, working with things like um, OpenStack and VMware and Pivotal Cloud Foundry for the first 10 years of my career. And the last 10 years have been focused on public cloud, and specifically on AWS. As you know, I, I joined as part of the Onic acquisition. So super broad and deep in AWS for the last 10 years. And the hope is that, you know, private cloud's biggest competitor uh, in terms of table stakes expectations is the hyperscalers in public cloud. So the hope is that can take my experience from you know the time that I had in the data center and then raise that to the power of many years in public cloud. And when we when we mash them all together, end up with something that's um, that's cloudy and innovative and brings all the benefits of private cloud with all of the the new innovations of public cloud 
and, and put something new in front of our customers um, to give them the ability to consume and meet them where they are. Gotcha. Boy, what an interesting, uh, I love the phrase raised on the race floor. That's really awesome. Um, but, but what attracted you to what, like back in those days of the race floor of, of working with, you know, Pivotal Cloud Founder, working with OpenStack, working with VMware, what was it that you were seeing those technologies do to help customers? How were they able to achieve more? What was, what was their value play? Yeah. So, you know, those were the first baby steps towards cloud going from bare metal to virtualization. And as somebody who at the time was spending a lot of time, you know, it was early in my career. So I was I was racking and stacking and had my sleeves rolled up installing, um, you know, operating systems and sometimes ESX and other hypervisors on bare metal. And so it was very clear to me the value and the efficiencies that um, that virtualization gave us. Uh, and so yeah, I, it was, you know, I was a loud voice inside the, the businesses that I work for to move away from installing on bare metal and give us the portability um, and the standardization that we could get with virtualization. So it was, you know, I saw a pretty clear path between the sort of, you know, uh, rubbing sticks together uh, age of installing on bare metal and the, the, the more modern and, and, and the agile workflows that we could get out of virtualization. And then I went through that same metamorphosis, um, you know, 10 years later, when yeah. I first was introduced to public cloud. And I'll never forget, it was it was when I discovered CloudFormation, which is the infrastructure as code declarative tool that AWS uses. Of course, now there's many more Terraform and we, we put them in CI CD pipelines and that, 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 that ecosystem has grown a lot. But when I discovered CloudFormation, that's really when I got excited because I realized that I could be sort of this necromancer huh? on top of a, of a limited, you know, unlimited amount of compute, and I could <laughs> control it without ever having to interact with a you know buy you know spec out a system or, or wait for any anything to arrive or unbox anything. Of course, I loved racking and stacking because I loved working with my hands. But that sort of unlimited genie-like power that I could wield by by just changing uh, CloudFormation template, that was well, really- And that really must, must have spoken to you because of the guy who literally was the person opening boxes and putting things in racks, plugging in memory, all those things. And now here you were doing that through a command line. That's right. And that, that you're, you just nailed it. That was sort of like the, the real awakening for me because I realized that this was going to change the industry. And not only did I need to embrace it, um, but I remember even having conversations with my you know, data center friends about how we, we, we all needed to sort of get our heads around this new operating paradigm because this, is, this was the future. And what's great now is that um, you know, all of the tools that I described earlier, uh, OpenStack, Pivotal, um, uh, VMware, um, you know, I think there's a, a stigma that you have to go to public cloud in order to innovate, in order to use these tools like infrastructure as code. And the reality is that that's actually not true. All, all of the, the private cloud tools uh, platforms have the ability to manage infrastructure as code. There's a Terraform provider for VMware. And of course, VMware has their own um, vRealize automation suite that, that offers all, all this, exposes all the same sort of genie-like power over your private cloud as well. So that's exciting to me. What I want to do now is point our magnifying glass at the infrastructure side of a private cloud. So for that, I turn to Chad Dunn, who's the Vice President of Product Management for Hyperconverged Infrastructure, or HCI, over at Dell. Well, early days, it was really a collaboration between us and VMware to you know, see what we needed to do in the hyperconverged market. Right? We're just seeing the players start to emerge in that space and recognize that it's one that EMC and VMware needed to participate in. 
Um, so we, we actually had uh, a product before this. Uh, we had a product that was called VSpecs Blue that was the predecessor to VX Rail, which is our, our leading product. And uh, we failed terribly with it for, for many reasons, um, programmatically, technology packaging. And you know the, the decision uh, between the executives of the two companies was that it's too important for us you know, not to play there. And uh, we basically got a mulligan to said, fix the things that you believe are wrong with the, the product, the packaging, start with a clean sheet of, of paper. And that's what we did. And, you know, from there, you know, it's been, uh, you know, almost a, a vertical rise in, in terms of customer adoption. Let's define hyper, hyper-converged. I keep wanting to say hybrid converged, but it's hyper-converged. <laughs> it's um, hyper-converged and it's hybrid cloud. <laughs> there you go. Let's get it right. So, so define it for us for, uh, for those that may not know, and we can, we can pick up from there. Sure. So hyperconverged is, is really taking the, the components that you would find in disparate systems and bringing them together on an x86 server platform. And those things would be um, obviously, you know, compute and memory, but also storage, right? The storage is software defined, you know, leveraging the, the uh, drives or the SSDs that are, are in the individual nodes uh, and a virtualization layer. And in our case, VMware, but there are others. We also have products in the portfolio uh, focus on the, the Microsoft use case. Um, but you know, virtualization, x86, the storage, that's really what brings it together. And the technology is scale out. So you can start very small, three mm-hmm. nodes, but scale to hundreds and, and some of our customers have thousands of nodes. And you effectively build out your capacity that way. So, and this was a question I had to ask you uh, a little later on, but you sort of broached the topic, the fact that you can start small, you know, that really, I think, makes it accessible to smaller companies as well, as opposed to necessarily something, you know, which we think about how that the data center is evolving in the world of uh, where, where hyperscale clouds exist. You know, my, one of the things I always wonder and I ask folks is, is there a place for for private clouds in small companies these days, or does it just make more financial sense and other sense for them to use public cloud? So it sounds like, you know, we could get the best of, of the private cloud environment through from HCI starting extraordinarily small. Yeah, you, you can start very small. And in, in fact, you know, one of the one of the things that we say around the office, or at least when we used to go to the office, <laughs> is we could we could get an order for, you know, fifty thousand dollars and fifty million dollars back to back. Right, because we have people deploying at vastly different scales, and you know it's it's amazing you know the the breadth of customers that will adopt this. So, you know, for customers that want infrastructure on premises, um, for you know, whatever reason drives that data sovereignty, data gravity, regulation, um, they can start with a with a very small deployment, and then they can build up from there. Uh, other customers who want to go start large and go larger, you can do that as well and build up uh, an entire data center, and, and many of our customers do that. Now, to ask a more, you know, sort of a challenging question, are you guys, you know, are you, are you chasing after the wind in the infrastructure world? Because all we hear is, hey, I have a cloud-first uh, model for my company going forward. We are cloud-native all the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what's the role of private cloud in the future? We're, we're not seeing it slow down. Um, you know, we, I think we and, and many others have said it's not going to be an, an either-or it is going to be a hybrid world. It's going to be a multi-cloud world. And that is exactly the way that we see it playing out. We see larger and larger data centers being built, fewer and fewer resources needed to manage them, but connected to public cloud. I have a customer in uh, in Europe. Uh, there are eight data centers, and we're just deploying hyper-convergent in each of those. 
there will be four people per data center to manage it. Four people. So, four people. Wow. It's a new yeah. world. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the most aggressive numbers I've heard is that 20% of the world's compute or infrastructure compute has been moved into the public cloud. I challenge those numbers, you know, because that's that's looking, I, I would think, at the aggregate of how much is in public and how much is in private. But a lot of what's in public was born sort of there, you know, especially right. when you think of the Netflixes and the stuff. Just the scale of some of those companies, I think, tips the scales in, incorrectly. You were mentioning earlier, you know, with, when I even say somebody with your title spends an awful lot of time in front of customers and have the opportunity to, you know, ask them where they are. Tell me that story you told just a minute ago about, you know, when you ask a company, what's their strategy? How much is there? What do you yeah. do? Yeah. Even back in the EMC days, every time we would have a trade show event like EMC World and now Dell Technologies World, it'd always be stacked with briefings. And one of the things I would always ask is how much of your workload is cloud native? And, you know, for the first probably three years, I always got the exact same answer. We think about 1%, which really means there's probably people doing it. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. We don't know what they're doing it on. And then I would ask, what's it going to be in five years? More. How much more? <laughs> That's don't definitive. Know. Yeah. So, you know, after about three years you know, of doing that, I went back and asked the same question. Then I started to get really definitive certain answers, right? There's this much of it. Um, here's how we're doing it. And, you know, people would get excited about those kinds of, of projects right. because what was happening uh, is those developers inside the lines of businesses, you know, they wanted a Kubernetes dial tone to deploy applications on. Whether you as the IT organization give it to them or not, they're going to get it, right? Yeah. Because you can go to public cloud with a credit card and you've got the shadow IT thing happening all over again. So mm -hmm. uh, especially for, for customers that are, have an existing VMware investment, which most do, layering the container technology on top of it is an amazing hedge for them, right? Because as your your needs for cloud native grow and traditional VM shrink, you still got the same infrastructure. Basically, you're just changing the balance between the two, but it's going to be the same underlying infrastructure, the same people managing that, managing that infrastructure, but different workloads and, and different developers on each. Right. I, I was just talking to earlier today, a CIO with a, a large healthcare system in um, uh, middle America. And, uh, and they're, they're much earlier in their whole digital transformation uh, move. And so, you know, he was asking me questions about, you know, how do I handle it when the board member goes and talks to the CEO and the CEO comes and knocks on my door and, and asks what our cloud, what we're doing for cloud. And, 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 you know, there's not a lot going on there because there's so much to consider. And I said, well, yeah. first of all, you need to explain that you're already in the cloud because you're using Office 365. So welcome to the hybrid <laughs> world. You're there. Congratulations. Yeah. By the way, you're using a lot of SaaS products on some of your other things. You're in the cloud. Congratulations. Yeah. And what I think is interesting, and I've, uh, at first I kind of buckled at the phrase of, hey, we have a cloud first model. But I like the phrase now, especially as I've gotten deeper in understanding more about HCI, because we, if we take cloud and we abstract location out of it, and we apply characteristics to what it is. And that's how we started the conversation. A cloud has um, API endpoints exposed. Those API endpoints allow you to provision resources, whether that is you know, the computer, the network, or storage, or other things in between, or other layers like getting you know, your, your, um, your environment for containers baked into that. Well, you know what? I can do the exact same thing, whether it's public or private. So maybe when we yeah. say, I have a cloud-first approach, that means I have a, a, a qualitative characteristic that I'm going to build That's my right. organization to. 
That's right. I, 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 have, a, I have an approach that dictates what my outcome should be, yes. what my customer slash user experience should be. Uh, and that should be consistent, whether it's running in public cloud or private cloud. It's all cloud. Right. All right. So let's go back uh, to, to Dell's solutions here. So, you know, the, I mean, we mentioned the claim earlier that, uh, that availability is so much greater in an HCI world. So how does that happen? How do you make these claims? How do you substantiate those claims? So part of it is uh, the way that we, that we architect the, the software and, uh, and the system. So from a hardware perspective, as I mentioned, PowerEdge is basically the, the bedrock of our, our hyperconversion infrastructure products, not just VxRail, but all of them. Um, and they're known for their quality. They're known for their availability. But on top of that, it's usually software that, that, that causes outages. So by nature of hyperconverged being um, sort of a scale-out architecture, yeah, you're able to you know, potentially lose parts of it. You know, you could lose disks, or you could lose a node, or you could lose part of a cluster. But you know, that workload can be redistributed basically instantly to the rest of the infrastructure. So, at a at a high level, um, you know, you're going to see extremely good availability. So, yeah, right now, uh, so VxRail, for example, six nines of availability across our installed base, wow. which is that's pretty impressive. That's yeah. minutes of downtime per year. That's incredible. That and that 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 has a direct translate to business value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you you uh, another claim is much more efficient IT teams. You already gave an example of that in the, in your customer in yeah. the UK uh, with data centers that only have four people in them. How are you able to do that? Uh, well, it's really about automation and also automating. And we talk about APIs of, of provisioning resources. Very cool. But we also have to do the very unsexy stuff, right? The unsexy stuff is worrying about firmware and BIOS and VIP drivers and backplane image, all those things, right? Is a, very unsexy. Yeah. So, for example, in a PowerEdge server, there are you know, between 9 and 12 different programmable parts, depending on what peripherals you have, right? Your wow. NICs or your, uh, your HBAs, et cetera. Um, someone's got to make sure that those are going to work with the drivers that are in the hypervisor and with other components that touch those and make sure it works as a system. So you know, if you look at where VxRail is, is very differentiated from um, just basically building your own hyperconverged right, with a server and software-defined storage, it's really the validation of the, the desired state, the validated state of all the components in context, right? This version of this driver with this piece of hardware, with this version of the hypervisor, that all has to come together and um, and we get you from that one validated state to the next. So your people aren't worrying about BIOS images and mm -hmm. firmware updates. They're worrying about multi-cloud things, right? Very much a higher order problem to go solve um, because once you can automate something, you know, why don't you? Well, and it's one of the things I get really excited about in technology, and that's and that's seeing how how IT leaders have the opportunity now to to lift their heads up a little bit from some of the minutiae that they've kind of been forced to have to do because of technologies like this that now enable yeah. them to think, all right, how do I enable, to your point, a true multi-cloud type of an experience? How do I ensure that my developer community knows how to integrate and, and work with, with all of these environments? in a way that drives the business forward. Of course, as technologists, we just like the technology. It's fun. But what I really like is when I see technology empower a business to give them greater capability to you know, capture yeah. opportunity or to you know, uh, deal with the problem that they, they might be having. Yeah, I, I think the, the days of IT really being a, a cost center 
uh, are gone and yeah. now they're, they're core to the business uh, and they can be your competitive differentiator. And that's, that's why you need to look at those higher order technology options. Um, you know, if, if we go back to how we were building private clouds, you know, before hyperconverged, not that that's the only enabling technology, but you know, I, every customer, every certainly every large customer I've ever ever met always says they're unique. Yeah, and you're unique, just like everybody else is unique. Now, the, and, and they are special, but they're not necessarily unique, right? Mm. So you're going to find. 90% you know, overlap in, in sort of the way things are done and what the priorities are. And if you go back a few years, you know, the brands and, and components may change, but the, sort of the core functions of a private cloud were pretty much always the same. That's not the case now, right? The case now is there's a lot more choice of, is this going to be completely cloud native? Is it going to be a virtual environment? Is it going to be um, a hybrid of the two, what's the public cloud component? What's the edge strategy? Um, what's the consumption model, right? Do I want someone to operate this as a service for me, right? Dell can do that. Um, do I want to pay for it, you know, by, by the drip? Or do I want to rent the infrastructure? Right. So you're almost at a point of a, of a paradox of choices, right? There's, there's so many choices out there, and you've really got to understand how your business is going to be differentiated to guide you in the way that you want to build that cloud. And you need to have a long view of where that's going to go. It's, it's not like you're just going to refresh every three years to, to a completely different architecture. Yeah, and it's so um, empowering for for the for the IT leaders and the business leaders inside of an organization to have that flexibility of choice. You know, if they if somebody thinks, okay, great, I want to move to, I want to start using a hyperscale cloud, and we want to put everything out in our favorite hyperscale cloud, yeah. and um, but all of a sudden that sort of breaks the model because maybe they're a, a company that's under ownership from a PE firm, and and you know what, even that really just matters, and OpEx really just bites in that scenario, and yeah. CapEx really matters. Uh, or there's the other that says, look, I don't have any money for this big investment, but I know what I could pay monthly on this. Yeah. They will have that level of flexibility in a private cloud type of an environment is impressive. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's it. It's, it's all about choice and, and fitting the needs for the individual customers. Because at this point, I agree. Many of them are unique because of the way uh, of the differentiation that they want to drive in their business through their choice of, of IT infrastructure and their cloud strategy. So when we so you make the point of how did things look a couple of years ago in private cloud world? How do they look now? And I want to ask you the question, but I'm going to ask it wrong. I'm going to say, well, what's it look like in the next couple of years? But the reality is, is while we think about the next couple of years, and I think that the hyperscale clouds have done us a bit of a disservice in the frequency of updates and change that occurs, because it's caused us to have such ADD, well, ADD may be wrong, uh, short-term thinking is probably a better way to say it. But it is important to have that five and 10 year view of at least where you're going. You may not have a detailed roadmap three and five and eight years out, but at yeah. least directionally, you know where you're going and you know how, how these types of technologies fit into it. Yeah. And, and, and there are sort of big trends that, that we can spot that we know are going to impact decisions of, of how you construct your, your cloud strategy today. Um, consumption model, we already talked about, you know, it can be very flexible on that. That's going to be important. Uh, but also, where is that data? Now, today, the vast majority of the data is in the data center, as you would expect. Um, five, 10 years out, it's probably going to be mostly out at the edge. Yeah. Right? So you start to see that proliferation of edge technology where we want to push compute out as close to the end user as we can, who's probably connecting over a 5G network. Yeah. And you want very, very low latency, high performance out at that edge for those services. If your network is really fast, but the services are slow, you kind of feel like you got ripped off if you paid for this 5G service. So that's why that, that compute data, or that compute needs to be out there. Now, 
Also, the amount of data that's being generated out at the edge, it's really impractical to bring it back to the data center. Yeah. Right? You want to process it out there, determine what insights, what it can tell you, discard the data, but bring the insights back. Yes. So if every company is sort of looking at what their edge strategy might be, you know, is it um, extending their cloud? Is it a cloud out strategy where they're extending their private cloud out? Is it a cloud in where really the edge drives it and and the, the data center really just coordinates it? Or is it an extension of public cloud onto their premises? Um, and I think some, some analysts would call this tethered compute. Yep. There are a few different names for it. Um, that may be a model. So you really have to look at where the business is going, but these you are going to see these trends over the next five to 10 years of you know, data moving to other places. And a lot of that is going to be out at the edge. So, so how does this fit in? Tell me about how, how the VxRail um, uh, capabilities fit in in a world where we hear about Azure Stack and some of the other things. Where is its place in and you know, where does it fit? VxRail is really optimized around the VMware user experience. Okay. So how can, I, how can I make it easier to consume and manage a, a VMware environment for virtual machines and for containers with VMware's Tanzu offering? That's very key for us, and that's that's been very popular for us even even back when it was part of Pivotal. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, customers want choice. So, what what is your cloud operating paradigm? Is it an Azure paradigm? Is it an AWS paradigm? Google? Is it Rackspace? Is it OpenShift? Um, customers want that level of choice. So we we have a you know, robust business in the in the Azure Stack Hub and Azure Stack HCI business. Yep. Uh, also part of my, my product management organization, uh, we offer Nutanix um, uh, as uh, um, Dell XC, and that runs Nutanix software. Um, really a pioneer in this space. It's it's you know, really good tech, and they they paved the way, I think, for, for many of us in, in this space. Right. So it, we want that broad set of, of choices for, for customers to choose what they want. Now, you, you see the, the, the volumes and why VxRail is sort of the, the premier product in that space. Well, look at the market share of VMware. And you know, most of those large cu- customers have that footprint. And when they look to do containers, adding Tanzu to that is a, is a very easy path for them to, to get into the container world. So that's why it continues to be very strategic for us and for VMware. All right, for the modern private cloud, the infrastructure layer hyper-converged. It makes perfect sense, but we still have to manage those VMs and containers and such. And for that aspect of the modern private cloud, let's turn to a conversation that I had with Jeff Thompson from VMware. And I started by asking Jeff, what was it like to be in virtualization, in private cloud, when the public cloud hyperscalers were really coming into their own and battling for supremacy? Um, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting time. So it was kind of fun watching the the the, the, the battle, all of these different players uh, sort of come to the market, figure out how they were going to become you know the next great thing, a hyperscaler, whatever it was. In the meantime, you know, we were doing you know really well. We were working with yourselves and uh, you know a lot of other of our uh, you know cloud providers in this awesome business. And people just realized that, you know, cloud was the place to go. Uh, there, was, there was flexibility, choice and flexibility. Uh, partners such as Rackspace were there and uh, available, a local fantastic option for a lot of customers. And our business just continued to grow and grow and grow. So cloud, it was like all, all you know, all ties, you know, made the boats rise. So it was as Microsoft was doing their thing, AWS was doing their thing. 
Um, all boats were rising to that tide, and VMware did our thing. So uh, we we rode the cloud wave and continued. That's, that's pretty interesting. So so then you guys came out and said, well, you know, what, maybe we should run our infrastructure, run that run this stuff inside of AWS. And I was one who kind of scratched my head a little at that one, thinking. Does that get the data a little too close for them to just suck it all in? But it, I hate to say it all just kind of keeps working out well for you guys. I love your phrase of, you know, rising tides raises all boats. Um, but, you know, as, as all of the, you know, the naysayers would, would, would talk as the news articles would come out, ultimately your, your sales just continue to grow. It's a great place to be. Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. Cause, um, I think there was a lot of the people were saying, okay, that's a short-term bet, right? <laughs> Move some stuff to, to uh, put your stuff on top of AWS and then, hey, presto, overnight, it goes, uh, it goes native. Uh, but that hasn't been the case. You know, we've done uh, a lot of strategic bets over the last couple of years with all the hyperscalers. And so I think you'll see, you know, as we, as we progress down the roadmap and, and obviously partnerships with yourselves, the goal is enable multi-cloud for our customers, give the customers choice and flexibility, and make sure that from a partnership perspective, we give you all of the same things so you can talk to your customers in the same terminology. That way, the, you know, at the end of the day, all we want is for the customer to win. And we're the people who land them on the right spot for the right workload, whether that be in private cloud with Rackspace, whether it be a managed cloud that you're providing on top of VMC on AWS doesn't matter the right place for the right workload is what we want for. well that's the right attitude we found that that's where customers win you know when you listen to um, what their business requirements are and you figure out what their challenges are and then you look for ways for technology to fit into it as well um, that usually creates a good solution as opposed to here's the new shiny tech let's go do that so to your credit you know of course keeping that focus and, and being strategic about the deals but not to you know diminish on the fact that while vMotion was great you continued to innovate and that innovation ultimately is, is I would imagine, be a huge piece as to why you continue to be such a driving force of enabler of, of transformation today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, on, on all, both in terms of products that we've managed to build into the roadmap and make available to, you know, to yourselves, plus the acquisitions. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, that Pat did really well, Pat Gelsinger. Yeah was a, a, an awesome M&A strategy. So the last you know, three or four years, I think you've seen the portfolio become more and more robust and broader through really good acquisitions. And we've turned those acquisitions into cloud provider, you know, leverageable building blocks for yourself and, and you're adopting those. So, um, so it's great. We've uh, you know, strategized, built out the roadmap and then together, you know, we're able to offer that to our young customers. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a win-win. So as somebody who is in charge of helping, you know, teams be successful in in, um, in, in just what you're talking about, helping um, companies be successful with what they need to do through your technology and working through partners like like Rackspace and such, any of those acquisitions really jump out to you that's like, oh, man, I'm glad we got that one uh, because what it did. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that... Um, you know, the one that I think is really going to play, you know, you always go back to the last one because it's sort of the bright, shiny object, but I would go back to VelaCloud. Mm -hmm. I think that's a bit of a game changer for us in terms of what we're doing now, but probably more importantly, what's coming. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure one of the things we'll talk about today is, you know, 5G, IoT, just data is explosive, more and more data at the edge. 
and uh, you know, technology like VelaCloud, where you can put the intelligence at the edge instead of, you know, and, and stop the low latency to the cloud, put the intelligence at the edge, the AI, the ML at the edge, all of that, um, you know, that's going to really play into, it plays in right now, but in the future, as data continue to explode more and more, um, you know, that's really going to be a key technology. And I know you're, you know, you're already uh, beginning to, to, to look at that and pull it into your roadmap as well. So I'm excited about where we are with VelaCloud, and I still think it's early days. I think that's going to be a huge thing for, for us and for you guys as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, we think about clouds, of course, the first thing that comes to mind are the hyperscalers, but the reality is we think about private clouds, but that still sounds big and, and cumbersome, but especially through you know some of the commodity hardware through um, and through especially fit-for-purpose hardware that is you know bundled with with Ural's technology, it really does allow for that that type of thing to where you know, you're not paying transit, you're not paying uh, for uh, or, or dealing with the latency, as you mentioned, going across, but you can process, you can deal with it, and then you can take the result of that, make some decisions on site, um, action on that stuff, and then send the results you know, into a location at a time when it's appropriate um, so that you've got the historical reference as well. I love it. You've you've just um, repeated the VelaCloud data sheet, so that's awesome, Jeff. I like that. I a lot. studied before we talked. I studied. I studied. Well, and it's it's what's interesting because when you think about all the transformation that's going on, you know, we you know we kind of kind of joke a little bit back in the you know 2015s when all of the disruption was happening, but we find ourselves now in a position with technology of what what the hyperscalers, the capability that exists there, but also then of the transformation that's happening throughout in and what you're doing, uh, and you find this data, you know, we talk about it going to the edge, but I like just to say the data is going everywhere, but it's going where it, and it's going where it needs to be, where it can be used just in time, and then we can move on and, and uh, move on to the next thing, because the IoT sensors, the, the containers, the, everything that's happening just keeps happening. Mm-hmm. There's more and more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I couldn't agree more on you. You hit on containers as well. It's another, I mean, there's so many key areas that, that we're both playing in right now. So, uh, you know, all that discussion about modernizing applications, digitizing, uh, you know, everything we have, uh, making the, the end user world more easy, uh, consumable. Um, we play in all those spaces and we have technology to support all of those solutions. So, um, yeah, exciting times ahead for sure. Well, and, you know, one of the things that's so so exciting is the fact that if we go back, I mean, Rackspace is a 23-ish-year-old company or so, but you're one of our oldest partners. Uh, I think, interesting, you know, our, our partnership with Dell uh, maybe precedes that by a little bit, but but you're one of the oldest ones and been such an enabler of transformation for companies, even back in the early 2000s, all the way through to today. And you look at the way all of that transformation has taken place, even of what we've done inside of Rackspace and now creating this, this new generation of what a private cloud looks like as we present that to our customers and those lines between you know where that data exists or what's public and what's private even it's it's harder and harder to find those lines yeah yeah exactly right and um, i think you hit on the head there even the, the we had the uh, we had the hypers we've got the hyperscalers now we've had public cloud but at the end of the day um, you know, private cloud is as prevalent now as it ever was. And customers mm-hmm. want their data, you know, in a in a particular solution that they can effectively, I know it's in the cloud, put their hands on and say, "That's mine, and uh, and I own it." So I think you know, in terms of standing up private cloud, making the you know the, the modernizing the network to make sure that the connectivity is there back to the mothership, you know, across to other clouds. 
you know, that's absolutely key in it. But uh, a modern private cloud is as, as critical now as, you know, with hyperscalers and with public cloud as it's ever been. So, and I think it's here to stay for a, a long time. Well, and we've gotten to a point where we even stop trying to use terms like public cloud and private cloud because the reality is it's just all cloud. Yeah. And and having the conversation around with customers around where their workload should go shouldn't start with geography. Um, unless, of course, they're in a controlled country, of course. But it shouldn't start with capability driven by location. It should be what are your business requirements and then what's the right right tech to wrap around that. And, um, and especially as that private cloud capability evolves and the connectivity between private and public um, gets faster and more consistent and you know, we've got offerings in that space. Um, again, uh, you just the, those lines are gone and now you can get into a place and you can envision a world where, okay, I want data to live in a data center that I know we can wrap our arms around and I can point to a street address and know that's where it is, but I want capability on the analytics or the, the machine learning side that's going to come out of a hyperscaler. And that's a reality today for us. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, I think about to your point, is it private? Is it public? Does it really matter? You know, at the end of the day, the, the C-level mandate is transform this business and make it more agile. Uh, you know, get that, make, make sure it's doing that so I'm getting good return on my investment there. Um, get me off this CapEx train, get me into an OpEx train so I can, you know, I can get the cloud economics around scale up, scale down. Help me get there. And then, you know, as you evacuate the data center, move me into a place where it's modernized, I can take my applications, and over time, I can modernize those apps, and to your point, take care of other marketplaces that are either either built into this you know, sort of private cloud area, or connected through the network you know, to hyperscalers and so on. So it's all about that, modernizing, agility, automation, CapEx to OpEx, all of that stuff, C-level mandate down, Get me to the cloud, and uh, you know, and I know when I get there, all of these other tools and opportunities are going to be there to bolt on once I've got my sort of core business taken care of. So I think we're both in a good spot to support that sort of mandate from the top down. So let's go back to that conversation that I was having with Eric Miller, the GM over the private cloud here at Rackspace, and get into some of the details of what he and the team are building for that next generation private cloud. We're focused on making private cloud um, a lot cloudier. Uh, and we do so in the context of uh, what, what, what my team calls the big five. And the first is flexible consumption-based pricing. Um, where, you know, the traditional data center hosting, we would contract for a certain amount of consumption, maybe customize the hardware, wait for that hardware to come in, provision it, uh, onboard it, and then make it available to the customer. Now we are um, using tools like VMware Cloud, uh, Cloud Director, which gives our customers a, a you know, a very um, cloud-like control plane where they can log in and, and spin up a VM, pay for that VM from the moment it's, it starts running and then uh, stop paying when, when we turn it off. So consumption-based pricing is number one. The second is multi-tenant options. Mm. Again, uh, you know, managed hosting and private cloud has very much historically been dedicated, dedicated, dedicated. I mean, you have to buy the hardware. It's going to be just all yours. But the, and, and the, you know, a lot of the thinking there, and it's legacy thinking now, was that you, you needed, to, needed it not only for security, but to avoid noisy na- neighbor syndrome. But the hypervisors now are, are so advanced that they, you know, that we're years past those problems being real anymore. So our customers expect the capability to be able, they actually want um, the lower cost 
uh, capability to deploy multi-tenant. You know, so Eric, it's, it's interesting you say that. I was talking to a customer a few weeks ago and was mentioning a little bit about that capability that we're bringing. And he was really excited, even though he is a serious consumer of, of dedicated private cloud because he has workloads that are in transit going all over the place from his data center, either into a Rackspace data center, single tenant, or out into hyperscale. But he needs places to put this stuff where it just sits until it's ready. And the But he doesn't want to commit to more infrastructure on his dedicated deployment. So this is an amazing solution that is going to really, I think, solve some, some huge need. Yeah. And I think what we're discovering is sort of a, a pattern that, you know, all of these decisions, hybrid, public, private, uh, multi-tenant or dedicated, they're, they're all, you know, they're all either or decisions. They're all why not both, not, I'm sorry, they're all not either or decisions. They're all uh, why not both. Um, and so, yeah, multi-tenant options would be, would be number two. We want to give our, our customers some degree of self-service. Now we have no intent of, of, you know, having the, the feature parity like, like the hyperscalers do, but we want our customers to be able to do table stakes things like rename hosts, spin up VMs, open ports on, on a firewall, you know, change IP addresses, that sort of stuff. Um, and do that without having to open a ticket or talk to uh, an engineer, right? right. So some degree of self-service. Um, a big one is fast provisioning. Now, you know, provisioning a VM is something that cust- that we should all expect to happen in real time in 2021. But what about provisioning dedicated hardware? Remember, multi-tenant is just an option, which mm-hmm. means we should also continue to allow customers to provision dedicated hardware. Well, we want to, um, we're adopting a new sort of just-in-time um, uh, supply chain that, has a standard set of of instance types, hardware, racked and stacked, powered on, um, plugged in top of rack in our data center. So when a customer wants to add dedicated compute to their environment, um, it's we're just a few hours away from, from that being available to them. So much faster than the days or weeks of managed services in the past. And then finally, automation and software defining. And this is what, this is because of that epiphany that I had many years ago about cloud formation and automation, this has always been my sort of pet, um, uh, you know, feature that, that we're trying to evangelize. In fact, I've, I've um, started a group inside my organization called PVC Labs, Private Cloud Labs. And this is a group of, of solutions architects, engineers, product managers who share this vision for automation. And we're working on a very um, engaging demo, a, techno- a, a, a tech demo that shows the interaction of managing private cloud and public cloud through a single Terraform interface mm. and the, how, how, you know, how you can easily change code in just one location, commit that to a source code repository, and then watch uh, transformation to your infrastructure happen in both locations with a single code commit. Um, th- this is the kind of stuff that we think is going to get customers excited about about um, the ramifications of, of automation and infrastructure as code in the data center and not just in the public cloud. Well, those are five amazing points that, you know, it really does show what the marked difference is in in what a customer can expect in consuming private cloud in 2021 and beyond, because I'm sure that those five are going to grow and mature over time. Uh, what is, uh, so one last question then. So what is, uh, what's that North Star? What's that farther out bit of work? What's the sixth point that uh, that's pondering in the back of your head that, that the team doesn't know about yet? Yeah, so um, there's an event horizon of of technology around things like serverless, containers, IoT, AIML, and there is a, a slice of that. Again, sort of the decision matrix of what goes in the data center, what goes in, in public cloud, um, that's the targeted to private cloud. 
Um, you know, we do have customers that uh, are averse to public cloud mm-hmm. for various reasons. Some, you know, there's the compete angle. Uh, you know, so a lot of retail customers don't want to compete with online retailers, et cetera. But they still want to ha- they want to adopt these. You know, their their technology teams are are craftspeople just like everybody else, and they want to advance their careers. And they want to get their hands dirty with things like serverless and containers. And so that that'll that's what's sort of on the roadmap for us in 2022 after the, the foundational platform is built to start demonstrating. And again, we'll use the PVC labs team to prove this out and, and show the art of the possible around things like serverless and containers. The other thing is that, and this has always been the case, this is not really a private cloud um, uh, you know, thing. Um, the, the least affordable way to run public cloud is, is high compute workloads, right? Always get if you've got a, a batch style or something that's just sort of high high transactional compute, it's always going to make more sense to own that hardware yourself and get the most out of that that hardware that's running twenty four seven three sixty five at ninety percent or more. And there is no more um, workload suited to that than training machine learning models. So um, we we anticipate you know ha- having the ability perhaps with Kubernetes and and other and, or containers having scalable GPU-based machine learning training um, on-premise and doing that and the, and the whole value, the whole why there is making it cost-effective um, or even making good use of maybe um, antiquated hardware that otherwise would, would you know, be collecting dust. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. So the modern private cloud, whether it's the infrastructure that powers it, the software that controls it, or the people that are building these cloud solutions that literally can span companies the world over. I really hope you enjoyed this tour of what you can expect in private cloud and also hopefully opening your eyes up to the fact that it's not an either or decision in your company. You're going to be using private and public clouds for the foreseeable future. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I sure hope you'll go and subscribe and leave us a rating. It really does make a difference. If you know somebody you think needs to hear this, go ahead and send them a link to it as well. We'd really appreciate it. And I want to say thank you also to Dell Technologies, not for just being a part of the episode, but for helping to sponsor our Solve program here at Rackspace, where we bring you great content like this. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate it. Now, I'm glad you stuck around because I've saved a little bit from my interview with Eric. You see, he's more than just just a technologist. Check this out. All right, so you left a little piece out of your um, of your resume. You spent some time as a cook. Is that correct? I did. So remember when you asked me why I got into IT? I said, you know, I've always been an excessively right-brained person, and I was looking for a way to, to you know, to, unless you hit the lottery, you're never going to make it as a musician or an artist. Um, so I ended up in IT because I thought I could make money being creative. Well, same thing. That, that was my first pass at that. <laughs> um, you know, working culinary arts. Uh, if you know, if I had to do it all over again, I, I, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I learned a lot. I got to work. Um, I worked for Gordon Ramsay for a day back before he was famous in, a, in his two, two Michelin star restaurant in London. I got to kick around all the Michelin star restaurants in in um, the UK and learned a lot. Of course, now I can't even you know burn burn soup. Um, but uh, yeah, I was a chef for for about ten years. Um, and again, the you know the the 
purpose of that was to try to make some money in a, in a, in a field that was creative. And it turns out you can make a lot more money in IT than you can in the kitchens. And you don't, you don't come home smelling as bad or keep as bad at hours. So 